This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, good evening everyone. Thank you so much for hosting me this evening. It's really hard to imagine that a year has already passed. One year ago, I had the great privilege to speak at the inaugural event of the Kailal. And who could have possibly imagined that a year later, the world is completely different. We live in a different world. Global pandemic, financial crisis, the world's in turmoil. The one steady we have in our lives, the one thing that gives us stability, the way we weather the storm, is Limerat Taira. And uh, I'm really honored that Rabbi May, Rabbi Luban invited me back again uh, to be able to come together, really to strengthen not only the Kailo, to strengthen the learning of Taira and to strengthen a little stability in our lives, to gain a little clarity in these very difficult times. You know, we just read in Parshish Truma, we speak about the most important kli, the most important appurtenance in the, in the Mishkan, the Arayin. The Arayin, of course, house the Torah. And there's this very unusual prohibition. You know, there are these poles in the Arayin, Badim. The Torah says, You're never allowed to take them out. Why can't you take out the poles? You don't even need the poles to carry the Arayin. Why would you not be allowed to take them out? You know, the Mizbeach, you could take out the poles. And the Shulchan, you could take out the poles. Why can't you take out the poles of the Arayin? Says the Meshachachma, the Arayin represents the Torah. The poles represent those who support the Torah. Let's call a spade a spade. Emein Kemach, Emein Torah. If you don't have financial support, you can't learn. So one may think, yeah, financial support. I gave the Koilel 10 years ago. I gave the Koilel last year. I gave them three months ago at the charity campaign. Loy Yasuru Mimenu. The same way when it comes to the learning of Torah. Doesn't matter you learned last week. You need to breathe every day. Support of Torah is a daily responsibility that we have to ask ourselves. What did I do today to strengthen the study of Torah for Kal Yisrael? And we have the great merit, we have a koilel in our community, and we have the opportunity, literally, to be mechazek the Torah. But there's an interesting phenomenon about the Ibadim, and that is, although it may seem that those who carry the poles are carrying the Arayin, Sam Soifer writes that he heard from his great Rebbe, Rav Nassim Adler, that even though it looked like when you carried the poles, you were carrying the Arayin, but it wasn't in fact true. The Arayin miraculously lifted those who were carrying it. So it looked like you're holding the poles, but the Arayin carried you. Someone who supports the Torah, it looks like you're giving money to the Torah. It looks like you're supporting the Torah. The Torah is carrying your family, your life, and everything we have. And what a great zuchus it is for all of us to come together tonight to support the Torah in our community. That doesn't just mean the Kail, to support Rabbi May and Rabbi Luban, who work around the clock to ensure that every member of this community has access to the life-giving benefits of Limana Torah every single day of the year. So I want to share with you one very simple question on the Megillah. We have a new president. I don't know how many of us are actually interested in the tax plans of the new president. I don't know how much of our time is occupied studying what 
the new president's plans are for taxing the people. Megillah's Esther ends, the conclusion of the Megillah is, that Achashverosh placed taxes on all of the lands that he ruled over. Vayosem HaMelech Achashverosh Mas Al HaOretz Hayam. That is the grand finale of Megillah's Esther. Isn't it bizarre that the Megillah concludes? You know what the conclusion, you know what the climax of the Purim story is? Achashverosh Tax the people, whippy-doo. That's the end of the Purim story. Great, great to know. I'm so happy I stuck out the story to know that how does the narrative end? Achashverosh taxes the people. But I believe if you understand the answer to this question, it will literally open up for us a completely new vista, new perspective on the Purim story. The Megillah says that one day Achashverosh couldn't sleep. And he's tossing and turning, he's having insomnia, he's anxious, he's a nervous wreck. He can't sleep. And the Megillah says, who's coming into the palace? Haman was coming. What was Haman coming to do? To hang Mordechai, the Pasuk says, al eats on the tree, asher heichin loy, literally, that Haman prepared for Mordechai. But the Gemara says, don't make that mistake. Don't read it, that Haman was coming to hang Mordechai on the tree, that Haman prepared for Mordechai. Tana, the Gemara says, I want to share with you three words of Gemara. You can handle three words of Gemara? I just came from New York. It's freezing. If you, uh, last week, three times, I, I slipped and fell on a sheet of ice here. It's like, you know, as the, you know the Satmarov says, if you have to be in the exile, Florida is not a bad place to be. So, here we are, and I want to share with you three words of Gemara. Says the Gemara, don't read it that Haman made the tree to hang Mordechai on, but rather, he made the tree to hang him on. In other words, Haman was making the tree to hang himself. He didn't realize that, he didn't know that, he didn't recognize that. But in reality, when he was building that gallows, 50 almost tall, he was building the tree to ultimately hang himself on. Now this is not a little snidbit of Gemara. From this three lines of Gemara, we need to extrapolate the way with which the Divine Hand was recognized in the Purim story. Namely, don't make the mistake to think that if we have an enemy, or we have a challenge, we have a difficulty, the only way God could get us out of it is if He knocks off the enemy or completely foils the plan. Give God more credit than that. The Rebbeinu Shalaylam can take the enemy, can take the plan, can take the scheme and say, I will use your scheme that you're going to try to harm the Jewish people. I will co-opt, hijack that plan and use it to carry out what I want. Let me give you two examples. Remember the guy, Pharaoh? You know, Pharaoh, Paro, king of Egypt? He gets word from his astrologers, today the Savior of the Jewish people is going to be born. So Paro has a great idea. He's going to exterminate every kid that is born on this day. He says, We're throwing every kid into the Nile. So God is looking down from heaven and He said, You fool, Paro. You think you're going to exterminate the Savior of the Jewish people? Guess what's going to happen? Your daughter is going to be bathing in the river. She's going to notice a Jewish child. She's going to be merachim on the child. She's going to take the child out of the river, bring the child into your palace, 
and she's going to be rocking this kid to sleep at night, and at 3 a.m., she's going to say, Dad, I'm so tired. You want to hold the kid and rock the kid to sleep? And she's going to be out of formula at 3.30 a.m. And she's going to say, Dad, you want to run to CVS to get some more formula for this baby? And when the kid turns two years old, she's going to say, Dad, can I have your American Express card? You need to pay for his tuition. Pharaoh thinks he's eradicating, he's annihilating the Savior of the Jewish people. Pharaoh raises Moshe Rabbeinu in his palace. He brings him to adulthood. He pays for his tuition. He cares for him. There's an amazing Ibn Ezra. You know, think about it. Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest leader of the Jewish people, did not grow up in a Jewish community. He didn't live in Flatbush. He didn't live in Borough Park. He didn't live in Muncie. He didn't even live in Boca. Moshe Rabbeinu grew up in Pharaoh's palace. What's this Jewish leader, the Gadol Hadar, growing up in Pharaoh's palace? Says Ibn Ezra that if Moshe would have grown up among the Jewish people, he never would have been a leader. The Jews were slaves, they had low morale, and if Moshe would have grown up among the Jewish people, he would have had a, you know, a low morale, he never would have been able to develop and cultivate his leadership qualities. So he grew up in Pharaoh's palace. So Pharaoh taught him to be a king, he taught him leadership, he taught him royalty. If not for Pharaoh... There never would have been a Moshe. Paroi kibel Torah misinai. You remember that Mishnah in Perkei Avos? Paroi kibel Torah. Without Paroi, there would be no Torah today. Paro made Moshe. Paro thought he was exterminating the Savior of the Jewish people. He was grooming the Savior of the Jewish people. One more example from the Megillah. You know, in the story, Achzer has a problem with his wife. What do you do if you have a problem with your wife? Go to a therapist, you go to a marriage counselor, you go to a rabbi. Achashverosh goes to the stargazers. The Vilna Goyen asks the following question. He's asking everybody's advice. Achashverosh wants to know, what should I do with this Vashti lady? She doesn't listen to me. The Vilna Goyen asks, this guy Achashverosh, he's the king of the world. He's a Malach Bekipa. Why is he asking anybody's advice? The wife doesn't listen, so let him kill her. What well, he needs, Eitzah, he needs counsel. What's so complicated over here? Says the Vilna Gain, because the law in Persia was Kichin Devar Hamelach. That when a offense was relevant only to the king, the king was not authorized to make a unilateral decision. He needed to ask advice. Persia was some type of democracy that the king could not decide about his own affairs. Really? What happened in the end of the story? Remember, Haman takes a misstep with Esther, and Achashosh walks into the room, and he sees, Haman, Hagam you're, you're fooling around in the palace. So this guy, Charvoyna, walks in, ah, Gam, there's this tree, Achashosh, why don't you hang him on the tree? And what does the Pasuk say? Achashosh said, hang him. How is Achashosh allowed to make a unilateral decision? I thought, Persia was a democracy. You know what happened? And there's a guy by the name of Memuchan. Who's Memuchan? Haman. This Vashi, she's wicked. The rule in Persia, Memuchan says, is ridiculous. It's, it's stupid. Yeitzid Dvar Malchus Memuchan proposes. 
from now on Persia should no longer be a democracy, it should be theocracy, it should be a monarchy. From now on, Achashverosh, you make all the calls. Yetzeh Dvar Malchus Milfanov. So Haman passes a law, which he thought would promote his own agenda, that from now on, Achashverosh makes his own decisions. Thank you, Memuchan. Because in the end of the story, when Achashverosh doesn't know what to do with you, Otherwise, he would have put it up to the Senate or the House of Representatives and it would have been a majority, but he never would have gotten two-thirds. So now, Memuchan is dead. Why? Because of him. Because he passed the law that Persia is no longer a democracy, it's a monarchy. This is the manner with which God works. Hashem doesn't say, okay, there's an enemy, we're going to kill the enemy, we're going to knock off the enemy. God says, give me the enemy. I'm going to use his plans, his machinations, his schemes, and I'm going to use his scheme to bring about what I want to accomplish. That's the power, that's the control of the Rebbeinu He doesn't need your man in office to accomplish what's good for the Jewish people. You know, people get all caught up. Only if we have this senator, governor, president of the United States, only then it will be good for Israel. Only then it will be for the good for the Jews. But if we have the other guy, give God enough credit that he could have any guy in office and still use his plans and machinations to bring about what the Rebbein Shalom wants. And with this understanding, with this perspective, we now, the heavens open, and we have a new understanding of the end of the story. Because let's fast forward about 10 years after the Purim story. We go to a book called Sefer Ezra. And in Sefer Ezra, it discusses how the Jewish people want to return to rebuild the Second Temple. And the Jewish community, led by Ezra, they march to Jerusalem, and they're about to build a new Beis HaMikdash, and they look in the bank account, and they have no money. And they get word from a guy by the name of Darius. You know who Darius is? Daryavesh. Who's Daryavesh? Son of Esther, son of Achashverosh, king of the world, king of Persia. He sends word, Ezra, you're authorized to rebuild the second temple. Ezra says, we're broke, we're penniless, we have no, we have no money. So look and say for Ezra, Parakhes, the verse says, Darius sends word to every community on planet earth to open up all the storehouses of taxes and unload all the tax money into the Jewish bank account in Jerusalem to rebuild the second temple. And I ask you one simple question. Where did Darius get all this tax money to finance the building of the Second Temple? And the answer is, That's why the Megillah ends that Achashverosh taxed the people. Because all that tax money is put in escrow, ultimately forwarded to Ezra's bank account to rebuild the second temple. And if you think about it, now we see the Megillah has come full circle. Because at the beginning of the story, Achashverosh is celebrating. What's he celebrating? The fact that the temple lay in ruins and will never be rebuilt. Achashverosh is partying that the temple will never be rebuilt. And God is looking down from heaven and God is laughing. He says, Achashverosh, you fool. You think you're celebrating the temple will never be rebuilt? At this party, you're going to call Vashti to come. She'll flatly refuse. You're going to kill her. You're going to marry Esther. 
you're going to have a kid dar yavesh, you're going to collect taxes, and this party will cause the building of the second temple. You think you're celebrating Chorben, destruction? This party will celebrate the building of the second temple. By the end of the Purim story, Achashverosh has become the chief fundraiser of the second base Hamikdash. If there was a plaque on the second temple, it would say, built by Achashverosh. God says, you give me the president, you give me the monarch, you give me the king, you give me the enemy and the Haman, and I will use them to carry out my plan. Haman was the Shadchan for Esther to marry Achashverosh. Achashverosh was the financer of the building of the second temple. Let me give you one example in more modern times. 1492. The second greatest haven and powerful Jewish community in our history was Jewish community in Spain. And then you have a guy, King Ferdinand, Queen Isabella, they conquer the Iberian Peninsula, and they decide they're going to eradicate the power of the Jewish people. And in 1492, August 2nd, a Thursday, they expel the Jewish people from Spain. They think they've successfully diminished Jewish power forever. On that very day, they hand a man by the name of Christopher Columbus a lot of money. And they say, Christopher, we're paying for three of your boats. We want you to go to the new world. See vas titzach out there. See what's going to be on the other side of the world. In fact, if you look in the Chronicles of Seville, there was a cabin boy who was captured. And he writes that as his boat was leaving Spain on Thursday, August 2nd, 1492 on Tishabov, he passes by the three boats of Christopher Columbus that would set sail the very next day to discover the greatest haven of the most powerful Jewish community in the history of the world, the Jews of America. Ferdinand and Isabella think they're diminishing the power of the Jewish people. They are responsible for Torah in America. Who built Lakewood Yeshiva? Ferdinand and Isabella. Who built Chaim Berlin, the Mir Yeshiva, the Boca Koilel, was built together with Rabbi May and Rabbi Luban, King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella. And maybe, you know, you could fundraise for them a little bit more. We could discuss that later. That is the Hashkacha Pratis of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Give God more credit than be able to accomplish what He needs to do with our ideas and our plans and our machinations. Tonight is a very special night in the Jewish calendar. It's Yud Aleph Adar. Tonight is the yard site of the Chida. Rav Chaim Yosef David Azulai. Chida writes, the first comment of the Ramah in Shulchan Aruch, Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Tamid, place God before you always. The last comment of the Ramah in Shulchan Aruch, V'leiv toiv mishte tamid, if you have a good heart, you'll always be happy. The Ramah starts Shulchan Aruch, place God before you tamid, always. The Ramah's last comment of Shulchan Aruch, if you have a good heart, you'll always be happy. He starts with the word tamid, he ends with the word tamid. Says the Chida, if you place God before you, Tamid always, you will be Vilev Taiv Mishta Tamid. You'll always be happy. Read the Megillah carefully. Recognize that Hashem's hand is pulling every string 
not only in the Purim story, but in everything that happens in our lives. And the more we recognize that Hashem is pulling the strings, the more it will infuse our lives with tremendous happiness, satisfaction, joy. May HaKadosh Baruch Hu bless all of us, especially in the merit of supporting the Torah. May the Torah always carry us and infuse our lives with happiness, joy, bracha v'hatzlacha, forever and ever. Thanks so much for having me. All the best. Kalto. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.